Our prayer this morning was written by Anne Sidall. If you're familiar with her uh, stuff, she writes wonderful, beautiful prayers. You're going to have a moment of silence in this prayer uh, just to speak personally to God, and then I will wrap it up. Will you pray with me? Jesus, cleanser of temples and souls, at this midpoint in the Lenten journey, Look deep within our hearts and our lives and clear away all that holds us back. May our minds, spirits, and bodies be a temple that is open to your presence. And may our words and our actions be transparent to your love and truth. We pray that this church community will be purified in its life and mission so that all we do in and from here may reveal your gospel to others. In a moment of silence, we sit before you and name those things for which we seek your cleansing and healing, so that we may be more faithful disciples. Friends of Jesus, we are made clean by the words he has spoken to us. There is room in our lives and in our community for the Holy One to dwell. Thanks be to God. Amen. Folks, our scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Who loves the Gospel of John? It's a good one. It's a good one. We are going to be in chapter 2, looking at verses 13 through 22. And we pray that as this is read, that our minds and hearts might be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as these words are read, new life might be breathed into them, that they would not be dead letters, but alive in the Spirit, so that we might receive something new and fresh today. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let's pray. God, may your word be proclaimed through me or perhaps in spite of me this morning. Amen. So if you have been with us the previous two Sundays as we entered into Lent, we have been looking at Jesus' words about the kingdom, really what Jesus called the gospel, the good news that the kingdom has drawn near. Repent, change your mind, and believe the message. And so we have believed the message of Jesus that heaven is somehow all around us and within us. As hard as that is to believe, we have just stepped out in faith and said, okay, what's next then, Jesus? And we've heard that Jesus said the key to perceiving this invisible kingdom is by denying the perception of the self, the false self, the one that we have created in our minds. Jesus says, crucify that self and then follow me. And so we've begun to follow Jesus as he leads us and teaches us how to live the way that we were created to live. And so as we follow Jesus, where does he take us? Right off the bat, in the Gospel of John, he takes us to the center of worship for the Jewish people in the first century, Jerusalem and the temple complex during one of the holiest uh, celebrations that they had, the Feast of Passover, in which they remembered how God delivered them out of Egypt and from the hand of Pharaoh. And so in this following Jesus into this location, if you can imagine this, in your mind, the great city of Jerusalem, full of people as we approach the temple complex, in this image is lesson number one. Lesson number one. See, now I'm going to ask you to write something down, and I took the notes place out on the bulletin. You're going to have to write it somewhere else. Here's lesson number one. Dying to self in order to see who we really are in the kingdom begins where faithful people are already gathering for worship. Let me say that again. Dying to self in order to see who we really are in the kingdom begins where faithful people are already gathering to worship. You see, Jesus preached the gospel message to anyone and everyone who would listen. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It is at hand. It is within you. It is all around you. He would say this to anybody who would listen, but it is in this context where God's people have gathered for worship that the hard critiques and the lessons of Jesus really begin to take shape. It's more than just a message now. He's got a cord, of, a whip of cords in his hand. He's trying to say something. As 1 Peter 4.17 says, Judgment always begins with the house of God. This is where God begins to teach us, is in the house of God. Now, of course, in the Gospel of John, house of God means something slightly different. We might say that we are in the house of God right now. We've got this place set up to where we've got the altar, the holy presence, and we have the chancel set up, and I'm speaking up here, standing from a higher place as though... What I'm saying maybe is more important than what you have to say. We've gathered. So we might think of this as the house of God. But in the Gospel of John, 
house of God represents the presence of God because God dwells in His holy temple. In the first century, God dwells in the Holy of Holies, in that special room where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. This is where the presence of God is. And so if you're traveling to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover and you have your uh, sacrifice in hand, whatever that would be, two turtle doves or uh, cattle or sheep, perhaps you're bringing them in the caravan, to come with your offering to Jerusalem and to the temple is to come into the presence of God. So house of God in the Gospel of John means nothing more than just the presence of God. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, he sees something very normal. He sees something that he has seen ever since he was a baby. His parents would bring him to Jerusalem. We know this from the Gospel of Luke. Year in, year out, they were faithful Jews. They went to Jerusalem, and Jesus saw what he sees today. Folks gathering in the temple courts. You've got uh, folks that could not bring animals with them for sacrifice, and so there are vendors there that will sell you whatever you need. There are money changers because the money that you might be bringing from out of town is not the local currency needed to buy these things. And so they'll exchange your money at a price for you, and then you can buy the sacrifice you need. These practices that Jesus encounters when he gets to the temple in Jerusalem, not only are they permitted in the Old Testament law, we can go back to the Old Testament and find places where it instructs you to purchase the animals you need not only does it say that there, but they are necessary to carry out the requirements of Passover. Passover requires that you bring a sacrifice. So why is Jesus getting so upset? Why is Jesus so upset? John tells us that the disciples recalled Psalm 69. Psalm 69, zeal for your house will consume me. Let's actually look at this. I'm going to look at Psalm 69. It is zeal for your house that has consumed me. The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. When I humbled my soul with fasting, and they insulted me for doing so. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the subject of gossip for those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make songs about me. This is what the psalmist says in 69. The psalmist is consumed with passion, he says. Not for the temple itself. When he says zeal for your house is consuming, he's not talking about the temple itself. He is saying I am consumed by what it represents, coming into the presence of God, making my way into Jerusalem at the temple structure, knowing that I am this close to God in the Holy of Holies. He is consumed with encountering God. And his method of denying self, it's kind of interesting because we've been talking about what does it mean to deny the self. His method of denying self is fasting and mourning. He is refraining from eating certain foods at certain times to kind of help kill that ego off. He's wearing sackcloth, very scratchy, itchy clothes, which is a sign of mourning and repentance. And everywhere he looks, he is met with 
insults and ridicules and gossip. Even the drunk people are singing about him, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care about all of that. And the disciples see the same spirit in Jesus, consumed with being in the presence of God. And yet as he looks around, all he sees are people caught up in the trappings of worship. This, I believe, is why Jesus does what he does in the Gospel of John. He begins flipping tables, driving out the animals. Now I want to just point out here, in the Gospel of John anyway, Jesus does not drive out the people, only the animals, flips over the money changers' tables, spills their money out. What he is driving out is the distractions, not the people. And I think in this action, we come to lesson number two. So you can write this down. Lesson number two. When you come to worship, nothing should be higher on your agenda than experiencing God, encountering God. Let me say that again. When you come to worship, nothing should be higher on your agenda than experiencing God. Now, if you're like me, I get up in the morning, and the first thing I think about is, what am I going to wear? Gary and I picked out the same shirt today because we have good taste. I think about... uh, Did I tithe this week? Uh, Oh yeah, I've got that set up on automatic draft, so I don't have to worry about that. Do I need to adjust that tithe? Uh, Maybe if you're like me, you come here and you wonder, if I visit another church, I wonder, uh, is the music going to be good today? What songs are we singing? Is the pastor going to be good? Is the preaching going to be worth anything? Uh, I come in and I decide, am I going to have regular coffee or bold today? Hmm. Am I going to select a donut or a kolache or maybe both? Right? These are the kinds of things that are running through my head. And Jesus says all of these must take a back seat if you want to perceive God's presence. If you want to experience God, all these things, they're not wrong, perfectly permissible, perfectly, we're, we're happy to have donuts and kolache. I'm thankful that we have donuts and kolaches, but that has to take a back seat. The first agenda when I walk in these doors has to be, will I see you today, God? Will I experience you? Will the Holy Spirit come in in such a way that I will leave going, something just happened? Paul says something about this. We talked about his last letter to the Philippians. I love that letter. Paul's at the end of his life. We think this may have been his last letter before he's beheaded, and he's just he's just so humble. Like he's Paul can be arrogant sometimes, but in the letter of Philippians to the Philippians, he's just he's just compassionate. He's humble. This is what he says in Philippians three eight through ten. I now regard all things as liabilities. What are liabilities? Hindrances, right? If you're an insurance agent, a a liability is a possible problem area, right? I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung. Jerry, is that a, is it dung? It is not dung. 
our Bibles are being nice. Paul uses, uh, there's a SH word in our language. That's what that is in Greek, okay? Indeed, I regard them all as BS, that I may gain Christ. My aim is to know Him, to experience the power of His resurrection, to share in His sufferings, and to be like Him in His death. Do you hear what Paul is saying? I, I, I am a, a rabbi, a scholar. I've been trained with the best of the best of the best. All that rubbish, BS. I don't care about it anymore. I just want to die to self so I can experience the power of Christ. Number one goal for Paul at the end of his life. These are two powerful lessons that Jesus has taught us just by following. We're just following him into Jerusalem. We've already learned two powerful things, but there's one more. One more lesson that Jesus teaches us. He says this strange thing to the Pharisees. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. Now, of course, the Pharisees were standing outside the temple structure. It's been under construction for 46 years. Of course, they think he's talking about that. Oh, you're going to knock down these stones, these archways, these walls? We've been building it for 46 years, and you're going to raise it up in three days? We'd like to see that. I would probably go right along with them. I would think, what is Jesus talking about here? Except for, thank, thankfully, John gives us this little parenthetical note and says, but Jesus was talking about his body. Soma, soma, different than flesh, body. He's talking about his body. Of course, now we know on this side of Easter, we know he's referring to his future death on a cross and his resurrection. But herein lies lesson number three. Write this down. Lesson number three, God is not contained in just the temple complex in Jerusalem. God is not just in the temple complex in Jerusalem. By the way, that temple doesn't exist anymore. 70 A.D., gone for good. Done. Right? So God better be somewhere else besides that temple complex in Jerusalem. Jesus says, God is fully present in me. Destroy this temple. He refers to himself as a temple of God. Destroy this temple and it will be raised up in three days. So that as we follow Jesus, as, as he tells us to do, repent, believe the good news, and follow me. As we follow him, we are literally in the presence of God as we follow Jesus through the stories. As we enter into Jerusalem with him in our mind, we are in the presence of God. Paul would take this even further. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We are the temple of God. We are the house of God. Because God also dwells in us fully. Which means this passion for experiencing God, being consumed with nothing but knowing God, experiencing the power of God, it's not just reserved for Sunday mornings. It's not just when you come into this place. It is a lifestyle choice. It is every day, everywhere, in all circumstances. To always have in the back of your mind, this could be a moment in which the clouds of my ego self are rolled away and the kingdom appears in my higher consciousness. Any moment is a possibility for that to happen. 
to expect that as you follow Jesus in denying the self as He has asked us to do, that the true divine self could be revealed. And it could be revealed anywhere. On a busy street corner, while you come up to take communion in a little bit, while you're doing your laundry or cutting the grass, as you do your morning devotional, when you are on your sick bed, when you are visiting family, when you're taking a walk in Davy Dogwood Park, when you're helping a friend move to a new house, anytime, if God is fully present in you, anytime is a potential moment for that to become realized in your life. Most of our lives we walk around, we don't sense that God is fully present in us. We have a hard time referring to ourselves as the temple of God. We know it's true. We know Paul said it. But we don't feel like that. But any moment, that could switch. right? Especially as you go about your business of denying the self. My experience, and this is just my experience. You take it for what it is. My experience tells me that as we seek the kingdom through the denial of the flesh, and we need to talk about more about what that means, okay? But denial of the flesh, as we seek the kingdom by doing that, our desire for seeing God in all things actually increases. You catch glimpses of God, and then your desire to see more of that increases, which increases your desire to deny the self more. It's like this circle, and it's like magic. It's weird. But it's like if you just take Jesus at His word and just start with something simple like silence, (laughs) give God 15 minutes of silence, something begins to open. You see things in a new light, and you go, what was that? And I want to see more of that. And then you find yourself drawn to this life of following Jesus, and you find yourself expanding in love and compassion for yourself and for your neighbor and for the world. It's this cyclical thing. But it begins with believing Jesus and denying the self. And so as we find ourselves halfway through Lent at this point, I hope that some of you have been experiencing that. I hope that some of you have taken up maybe a practice of denial this this Lenten season. You said, I'm not going to drink Coca-Colas during Lent. Except for on Sunday. Sunday is a feast day, okay? Maybe that that was your entry point. I'm going to see what happens if I say no to Coca-Cola for the 40 days of Lent. And you've begun to notice a shift. Something is changing. You don't know what it is. You don't know how to explain it. But something is different. Or maybe you decided to take up a new practice. I am going to uh, call a friend each day to check in, somebody that I haven't talked to in a long time, and I'm going to make a commitment to call somebody and have a conversation with her, or go out for coffee and have lunch, right? Whatever it is, I hope that if you are doing that thing and trusting Jesus that the denial of self is the key to perceiving the kingdom, that you are experiencing that. And it's getting you excited. And you want to know more and you want to see more. 
And I hope that by the end of Lent, we're all excited that we find ourselves going, wow, wow. This Easter is completely different because I've seen things that I never could have imagined. Let's pray. Truth be told, Jesus, there are lots of tables that need overturning in our lives. Beneath the veneer of respectability, the tidy rows and neat regulations hide dark addictions and angry judgments, hungry greeds and heartless rejections. We know the pain, and so do those around us, of keeping up the facade. What a relief it would be to have it all upset, smashed, scattered, destroyed. So perhaps, Jesus, today you could pay us a visit and help us to radically rearrange the furniture of our lives. This we pray. Amen. Friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you're perfectly loved, you're completely forgiven, you're uniquely empowered. Now you're called to go out into the world and try to live as God's faithful children, as one who houses the fullness of God. You're going to forget that at moments. You're going to make some mistakes. You're going to make some choices based in the ego that won't serve you or others well. But even then, God does not abandon you. God doesn't change His feelings towards you. You're still completely loved. And if you can believe that, it'll help you get back on track. You'll remember, and you'll get back up and dust yourself off and get back out there. And so in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word and go from this place in peace. Have a wonderful week. Amen.